Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivu Lani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Burke Smith. Burke is the CEO and founder of Straighterline, a student success and college readiness company. And prior to that, he co-founded Smart Thinking, which was the largest online tutoring provider for schools and colleges. Even before that, Burke was an independent consultant and journalist whose clients included the Gates Foundation, Microsoft, Wired Magazine, and others. Before we get started, I'd like to thank Kate Hui and Justine Chow at William Blair, who reconnected us. And funny story, I think maybe seven or eight years ago, when we were just getting osmosis off the ground, Burke and I met in Baltimore. We were connected by John Kamak, a fellow EdTech investor and entrepreneur. And so it's great to see you again in this circumstance, Burke. Likewise, Shiv. Thank you for having me. So you've had kind of a storied career in ed tech and even before that, consulting with some really amazing groups like the Gates Foundation. would love to hear a bit more about your background and what got you interested in the education space to begin with. Sure. Um, go get in the Wayback Machine. And mid-90s, my background's in public policy. I was getting a graduate degree in public policy. And that is you know, just after the internet was a thing um, for at least to, to mass markets and was really interested in technology and how it impact big social functions, particularly education. And it seemed to me at the time that online courses are cheaper to deliver and therefore should cost less. And if that's the case, some of the problems we have about the price of college, college debt, uh, risk of going to college, all those are things that we should be able to solve. And then I looked out in the marketplace and that was not happening. In fact, the opposite has happened over the last two decades and prices continue to go up, debt continues to go up, et cetera. And most colleges price online courses as if they were face-to-face courses are frequently even more expensive. And so the question I asked myself, well, why is that? That doesn't seem right. And then if you look at how the market's constructed, the way colleges are subsidized, the barriers to competition, how accreditation works, et cetera, you realize it's very hard for new providers to come in and start to drive down the price. And so that driver was really what got me into smart thinking originally, which is an online tutoring company, which is a different way to think about how students get essentially live help. Um, and then ultimately straighter line, which is a way to deliver much lower price coursework in the gen ed portion of, uh, of higher ed. But it's that question of how do we drive the value of technology to students as opposed to being captured by schools and colleges? Totally. I mean, the before COVID kind of took over the news cycles, everyone was talking about the next bubble, which was the educational debt bubble. And this is obviously something you all with Straighter Line have specifically been addressing for a long time. Can you tell, tell us a bit more about kind of the journey with Straighter Line, including the recent acquisition, and then any metrics you can share on how many students have gone through the programs, kind of where they've ended up, et cetera? Sure. So, um, 2008, I started Straight Align as a division of Smart Thinking, my first company. Spun it onto its own company, and we raised our first round of capital in early 2010. And um, at the time, 2008, uh, we were really controversial. This idea that a non-college could offer online courses for college credit at a tenth the price of colleges on a subscription basis, with students moving at their own pace, was was heretical, and lots of folks really didn't like it. But over time, the market has essentially validated our initial premise, which is that you don't have to be a college to offer a college course if it's being delivered online. 
And so since then, you've seen the growth of MOOCs and you've seen the growth of boot camps and stackable credentials as a buzzword. And employers are now using non-college credentials in ways that are different than degrees. So the market's really evolved over the last 12 years um, in ways that we predicted, but were very controversial in the beginning. And so what's happened with Straight Align is in the very beginning, we started out as a way for students to lower the cost and risk of earning a degree. You take our courses at $99 a month, you transfer those credits if you're successful to colleges that are willing to take the credits. The colleges that take the credits then become the destination for those students and becomes a free marketing pathway for those colleges. And the hope was the more students, the more colleges, the more colleges, the more students, and you know it just starts to grow on itself. And that has been right, but not right fast. And so we've added other services on top of that. So now we do a lot of work with colleges. And in fact, the bulk of our work is with colleges themselves, where they have, if you think of college of having a, a funnel of students from prospect to graduate, and students fall out of that funnel all the way down. Colleges don't have great solutions for how to re-enroll those students. And so we work with them to provide pathways to re-enroll those students. We're working with about 50 schools and we're doing it under the college's brand in many cases, as opposed to our brand. We've got great outcomes on yield improvement, persistence improvement for colleges who use this as a, essentially a marketing or a funnel optimization service. And then lastly, we are now working with employers where employers are creating low cost pathways into degree programs for their employees. Uh, we're doing healthcare with uh, associate's degree of nursing. We are doing early childhood education and we're doing a range of general bachelor's degrees. So all told, we enrolled about 40,000 students in the last 12 months you know, across those three different channels, if you will, uh, all of which are growing nicely. And you know, I think what we've learned over time and probably not surprising is that one of the old saws in higher education is that it's easier to change the course of history than history course. You know, higher does not move very fast. And so some of these things you know are certainly true doesn't mean it happens quickly. And so we've certainly seen that and we've kind of adapted to the speed of the market and steady growth and steady growth and partnerships. And I think what's happened COVID, if anything, has kind of accelerated that growth. That's fascinating. I love that. It's really cool to see how your model that you've innovated upon, and as you said, was heretical, is now very standard subscription-based content delivery platform. So you 40,000 students in the last 12 months, like what are, are there any colleges that have said no, like you're disrupting us, you're making it too cheap. We want the students for the first two years to be paying our calculus, our statistics course full price. Have there been ever major pushback from universities as you've approached them for partnerships? Sure, absolutely. Colleges have very little incentive to take someone else's cheaper courses. Arguments against that might show up in the form of quality, and maybe that's true, but more often it's a way that, hey, we have zero interest in doing that. It's not our history, or they want the revenue for their particular course. However, colleges are also at a competitive dynamic, and colleges ultimately will take credit if it ultimately drives their own self-interest, which is additional enrollments for themselves. And so you're seeing that tension play out over the last decade or so, and I've sort of envisioned higher ed as an adoption curve. Early adopters, the adults serving online colleges, whether those are nonprofit, public, or for-profit, but they are in an intensely competitive environment where they are all competing in effectively one national market. And so they are the first, and they're serving adults who have you know, previous college credits. So they have strong incentives to have fairly liberal credit award policies. Next are the private colleges without particularly strong brands, but they're also serving that same population. And to compete with first, they're also then start to have more liberal credit acceptance policies. And then the next tend to be the 
regional two and four year schools. And, and then finally the laggards I'd say are the Ivies who, you know, they have enough kind of pricing power that they don't have to take credit from third parties, whether that be us or community colleges or elsewhere. And so that's what we see in the space. And if I had to kind of, you know, wet my finger and put it up in the air and say, where are we in that adoption curve process? It feels like we're right at the regional two and four year schools starting to liberalize their credit acceptance policies. And again, I think it's not just us, but it's lots of other providers in the space. And so students are bringing lots of sources of credit to schools and they have to figure out what to do about that. And if they want students, they're gonna have to accept them. Uh, We are doing things, we're bringing sort of new solutions to schools under their brand. And so if I can stretch back over that 12 year period, the early days, both us and MOOCs and Coursera and others were presented as, you know, straight line and colleges, like, you know, they have these two things and they're gonna fight it out to see like who, who wins. And uh, over a decade or so, you're seeing the integration of those models. So we've found ways in which colleges offering our courses and our prices help them, whether that's as a new marketing channel, as a ways to optimize their existing funnel of students. And ultimately, you know, they're finding ways that help us because that gives us a way to find new students without having to spend money on direct advertising to do that. So I think what you're seeing over time is a blending of these different models and ways that ultimately find the optimum way to balance financial aid and credentialing and the kinds of courses that colleges bring with the sorts of delivery structure and flexibility and price points that we bring. That's really helpful positioning of where kind of you see the market evolving, where very much is more of a partnership than, than um, competitive. That being said, it's classic disruptive theory from Clayton Christensen, where take away the first two years or first year or the introductory courses of colleges, and then eventually like, what is the role of the college? And obviously thinkers like Michael Horn and Scott Galloway have written a lot about this. Some of these trends are being accelerated by COVID, things that we knew would happen over the next five years with some of the second, third tier colleges not being able to survive the pandemic. I would love to hear two things. One is how has COVID affected your own enrollment and usage pattern at Straighter Line? And number two is, what do you see as being the lasting changes from this pandemic? Do you think that there will be a lot more universities that come to Straight Line because they need just the enrollment numbers? More of them will shut down because there just aren't enough students to justify expensive campuses with bloated kind of cost structures. How do you see those two things playing out? Yeah, so let me start with COVID. You know, I really see it as an accelerant of trends are already underway. And for us in particular, immediately, immediately being April or so, March and April, you know, our growth rate doubled. And that was students who are previously face-to-face and now are online or they don't want to pay online or if they're trying to figure out a different way to take their credits in a way that's more flexible or a different start point, whatever it is. Um, that has settled out a little bit over time to back to where we were before. And I do think that we're going to continue to see that. Again, I think... Um, what COVID is going to do long-term, there's a number of elements. One is, first, I don't think the degree is going away. You know, there's certainly chatter out there about the uselessness of degree or does a degree pay off? And, and almost regardless of whether that's true or not, the degree is so highly subsidized that it is very difficult to not have. And so whether that's Pell Grants, that's state money to public colleges, that's 529 plans, that's tax incentives, that's nonprofit status, that's uh, subsidized loans, that's uh, forgiveness and extra payment plans, that's loan forbearance, all these different things, sort of this multi-stream subsidies function 
flows into higher ed, which ultimately supports the degree. So that's very hard to break over time. So I don't think that the degree is going to go away. I do think we're going to see lots of adaptations of that. So um, you're going to see different ways to bring in non-college coursework into it or delivered by schools themselves, frequently under their brands. OPM is a great example where, you know, in a sense, if colleges weren't as subsidized and protected by accreditation as they are, the OPMs would be their own colleges. But because they are, they just run the colleges and the colleges become more of a storefront for an OPM. So you're going to see more of that going on. Um, I think two things. One, it's been surprising. I had expected, you know, all the other recessions, you've seen enrollment grow when uh, people are being laid off. And it's because it's free money. You know, you want to go to a place where you can get free money and kind of wait out a recession. That has not happened so far this time around. So you're seeing enrollment drops in community colleges and elsewhere. It'll be interesting to see if that's temporary or that may rebound come January and beyond. But that is kind of a surprise so far. Second is for two decades, you know, colleges have been able to price online courses as if they were face-to-face courses and frequently more expensive. And that's kind of been mind-boggling to me. And so I think you're going to see significant changes in consumer expectations for pricing for online delivery, which then impacts the competitive environment and how colleges are going to present their offerings in a now newly competitive space. And then lastly, to get back to sort of what we are doing with Straighter Line, it makes a ton of sense to have low cost, low risk entry points to basically prove yourself before taking on the high cost and high risk of starting a degree, particularly with completion rates at you know 50 or 60%. It's a risky proposition to start a degree. We have great data that shows if you complete some of our courses and then enroll, your success rates are higher than your peers and it increases the yield for colleges. But if you don't succeed on a coursework like ours, you haven't shut the door. You haven't paid a lot. You haven't paid a lot up front. You haven't put a black mark on your transcript. You haven't put Title IV at risk. And so I think these low risk entry points are going to sort of sweep through higher ed over the next four or five years. Wow, that's fascinating. I agree with many of those points. So there are certain professions, obviously medical, like the Wall Street Journal showed results that uh, enrollments or applications this year versus last year, same time period, are up 17% largely because people know that healthcare is a safe career to go to. And some are inspired by being able to be those frontline healthcare workers who, who, as we say, that raise line, that's the name of this podcast. Business schools too are also seeing a lot of enrollments right now, it seems, at least the top tier, which have always benefited from recessions. The main thing I've heard for why enrollments are down at the college level is just students don't want to spend formative college years, which involve a lot more than just the didactic components that Companies like Straighter Line and Osmosis can provide cheaper, more conveniently, and oftentimes in higher quality, most times higher quality, um, just because you're putting the best instructors in front of them. There's so much other stuff that college provides, like the internship experience, the parties, obviously, that are always being shut down now because of COVID. So I think that that's the main reason I've, I've heard personally of why the enrollments are down, just wait it out, do a gap year. I haven't drilled into the numbers. I haven't read other folks who have, but one would expect that that would have been the same in 2008 know that if that was the case, then undergrad enrollments would have declined as well, but that didn't happen. It went up. At the time, it was the kind of recently laid off. It was community colleges who actually had the biggest growth rates relative to four, both grew, but they had the biggest growth rates relative to four years. And over kind of a two to four year period, they kind of peaked and then declined again. So you sort of expect that to happen now, and it's not too late for it to do so. We'll see what happens in January, but it is perplexing. It hasn't happened already. 
One thing I wanted to touch base on is your new employer segment, right? So you're working directly with employers and there's a lot of companies that have come out over the past few years, including the boot camps, like Lambda School, that basically say, look, forget the college degree, forget the certification, you're gonna get a Lambda certification and that's enough to get you a job at a, a tech company that doesn't really care that you got a CS degree. In fact, a Lambda certification or a boot camp from Trilogy or GA, it's probably better for your employability is, is the argument they make. I would love to hear how those conversations with employers have been going with Straighter Line because you're not selling them college credit or degrees necessarily. You're selling them certifications for their existing employees to reskill or upskill or maybe even outskill depending on where, where that employer is. Can you talk a bit more about that and particularly the work you're doing in healthcare related to that? Again, the conversation for the previous, I don't know, 50 years has been either or. It has been degree or skills. And um, it's kind of a silly distinction. It doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when you're online. And so the degree has certain things that are clearly of value, which is portability of the credential. You know, So if I have a skill that my employer recognized, but my second employer does not, or has never heard of it, that doesn't help when I go from my first employer to the next employer. So there's sort of labor market awareness that the degree has that many skills certificates don't currently have. Second is access to financing. So you know you can get Title IV and all the other subsidies I was talking about before through a degree program, which you cannot get from a survey non-degree program. Um, on the other hand, the certificates and the boot camps and whatever, they're much more focused on very specific skills. They're frequently cheaper, they're frequently more flexible, they're shorter duration, have all these kind of user characteristics that are more appealing to students. And so essentially what we are kind of doing, and I think what many are starting to do is, is you're seeing the blending of those from employers. So employers will say, you know, we're doing it for degree programs that we will be expanding into sort of certificates and other sort of smaller, shorter form coursework and programs. But all those short form programs will then carry credit to the colleges that end up being the validators of the degree. And so, you know, the buzzword is stackable credentials. That's really happening um, as much as I dislike the buzzwords and it's been around for a while, but it really is starting to happen. And, uh, and that arbitrary barrier between skills and degree is, uh, is breaking down. So what we're doing is working with Edassist. Edassist is a tuition reimbursement management company. They work with about 250 to 300 corporations to manage their tuition reimbursement programs. They're owned by Bright Horizons. We're working with them to create extremely affordable degree pathways where essentially the first half of a student's degree, you take with straight line coursework at a much, much lower price and finish your degree at the colleges that participate in the program. It makes particular sense right now for vocations or occupations that have kind of clear credentialing components to them. So healthcare being one, uh, we're working with one corporation to help their associates get their associate's degree or their partners, I think they call their employees, to get their uh, associate's degree of nursing, ADN programs. They take their prerequisite coursework with us. They sort of prepare for the TEAS, which is the aptitude test to enroll in nursing school. And once they do sort of finish and get that early college coursework, then they can go in community college and elsewhere and finish their, their program. But at overall, at a much at a combined price, it is not only much cheaper, but also the savings are front-loaded. And if students are more likely to not be successful in the beginning of their program, which is true, you're also then further reducing the effective price by front-loading the savings. And then on top of that, the benefits of online, start whenever you want to, all the other stuff that uh, clear transparent pricing, lack of fees, all the other stuff we do rolls into as well. And then maybe just last perspective on the employer-driven education market is, is interesting. Pre-COVID, 
two big value propositions for employers. One is upskilling, which we're doing a lot of. The second is retention, is how do you keep employees employed? And if you can keep, you know, keep them in longer, it's to your advantage as an employer. Retention is not as important right now because of the layoffs, because of the recession that we are in. Upskilling is. Um, it is changing the dynamic a little bit in the employer market. That's fascinating. Thanks for that commentary. I know I've taken you a little over, so I had two last quick questions, if you don't mind. The first is, um, you know, obviously one reason I think both of us got into online education is to help consumerize education and make it more user-friendly or like the same way technology companies have made a lot of interfaces more user-friendly, like e-commerce and other things. We are really interested in making it more convenient and cheaper for our end users to get their certificates and the degrees to, to enter meaningful careers in whatever they choose. We had uh, Dan Rosenswag on this podcast as well, the CEO of Chegg. And one thing he and Chegg have done is talking about the student debt crisis. And I'd love any commentary you may have, both from a policy perspective, as well as actual results maybe Straight Line has had. Do they emerge with meaningfully less debt? Like, I mean, you guys are obviously trailblazers in many ways, and it would be great if you had results, maybe you already do, showing that a blended model like you've done actually leads to less of a debt burden we don't have the specific answer to that question. We do have data that shows that for students that use our pathway programs in conjunction with colleges are substantially more likely to persist than their peers. And so it's not unlike data you'd see from community college transfers who also persisted higher rates or those students who bring in prior learning assessment credits, they also persisted higher rates. You know, in the core, it's like, you know, the best way to prove the chance of success is to be successful. And so, you know, it's not rocket science. And uh, so we have great data that shows that if you take these low risk pathway programs prior to entry, you are more likely to be successful when you actually do enroll. If you're more likely to be successful, then you're also ultimately going to be lower debt or better returns for your, your degrees. That's one. Second, we did just run a kind of a savings counter. We took the average cost of a four-year in-state college credit uh, relative to the average cost of ours. And it, ours comes out, when you all boil it down, it comes out to roughly 50 bucks a credit or so. A little bit of an apples to oranges comparison because there's a subscription basis versus a flat fee. But anyway, you can use that as a number. So we did that and we did a rough calculation of how much we'd saved our students over time and save taxpayers because they're also subsidizing schools. And a couple of years ago when we turned it off, it was like $150 million or something like that. And uh, probably now it's up to 450 given our growth rates. So um, by doing coursework from us, you're saving vast amounts of money as our taxpayers. That's awesome. So my last question for you is we have an audience of many students and early stage healthcare professionals. What advice would you give someone considering going to school or considering a career in healthcare? First, you know, congratulations and thank you, you know, for those who go into healthcare these days, frontline workers, and uh, it's terrific. So, um, and then second, you know, it's really that uh, you don't have to do the straight enrollment, go for your, you know, three years, exactly the price that's been said. The balance of power has shifted from schools to increasingly to students. And so you as a student have a lot of ability to negotiate, to take credit and bring it in. You'll, you know, sort of get credit from a place like Straight Line and frequently, you know, we have 150 colleges you can guarantee transfer credit, but there are 2,000 colleges that our students have told us have awarded transfer credit. And so what that means is that there's a ton of colleges who, who will take our credit but aren't saying anything. And so if you as a student say, I've got these credits and you approach a college 
they'll likely take it because they want to enroll you. And if that's kind of one of your criteria, you know, you'll, you'll find ways to ultimately save the money you need to save to go to school. So it's really that. It's that the balance of power has shifted. If you're going to do stuff online, especially, there's lots of ways to do it very affordably. Talk to your employer. There's lots of programs now that are funding that. And maybe, you know, do the things online that you think you can do online and the things that you need to do face-to-face. And you can segment those out in a way that's ultimately useful for the student. That's really great advice. Very tactical and practical for our audience. And I couldn't agree more that it's become much more consumerized and companies like yours are a great reason for that, uh, that hopefully save costs for not only the student, but the taxpayer as well. So Burke, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you for having me. With that, I'm Shibri Glani. Thanks to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.